Hello and welcome to the download. I'm your host Dave Richardson and it's uh, our regular monthly visit with Canada's hardest working economist, although we put him to work in between on a special uh, edition covering what's going on in the Chinese economy. I uh, encourage you to listen to that. That, uh, that dropped in your regular podcast feed, oh, I think about uh, a day or two ago. So, uh, so go check that out. It's a little bit longer than the normal podcast, but well worth the listen. Uh, because I, I can't stop him from working. You get him on a podcast. He wants to go. Uh, he wants to go longer because he just wants to chug away, put in extra work. Eric, you you just never stop. Dave, we were saying the key is do not listen to it on 1.5 times. I naturally delivered the 1.5 times speed all by myself. Well, I, I know you get very excited about because uh, you've done a lot of work and 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 had some really. I think you've been you know you know very you foreseen a lot of what's been happening in China. Uh, and where China is today, more so than other things I've read, uh, and and so I know you. Uh, this is an area of particular interest, as it should be. It's the you know arguably the most important economy uh, on the planet over the last you know 25, 30 years. So uh, as it uh, continues to evolve and and become you know a more mature economy and and policy changes and that, it's it's a pretty important topic. So I could see where you were uh, you you were just uh, Firing on all cylinders uh, for that podcast. Well, well, thanks for that, Dave. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it. And I should say, I mean, we are certainly watching China all the time now. It's not just a, a niche or occasional thematic yeah. subject. It's a, a constant watcher, as, as some other countries that, that merit that treatment as well. Uh, we were just really expanding our, our India work recently, kind of with an eye that is not a perfect parallel. And India isn't exactly the China of, of, of 25 or 30 years ago. But, you know, there are, there are some parallels there. And it's set to be the fastest growing big country. And we're going to see some interesting interesting things happen there. So don't, don't make me do a podcast on it. I'm not sure I've quite got the, the 45 minutes of, of fast forwarded content for you. But but nevertheless, it's it's a subject of interest and it's a really important country. And I think, as you know, as well, it's one that our portfolio managers have been pretty keen on uh, for, for a while at this point. Coming soon, the download special edition, Eric Lascelles, India, the India, next giant. That's right. All right. So we'll, we'll uh, so, but, but that's uh, two years away, Eric. We could do it anytime. No, realistically, a little further to build up the full knowledge base, but uh, or, or have someone else on, like some of those EM portfolio managers who are visiting regularly and know an awful lot. Very good. Well, I may visit myself uh, in the interim, but let's get into uh, the main topic for today, which is uh, we're looking back a few days now on the uh, on the U.S. jobs. We're kind of in between here because we had the U.S. jobs report on Friday. The Canadian uh, jobs report for August is uh, is coming up. Uh, this coming Friday, uh, but w any anything in in that jobs report that struck you as unusual or is causing any market reaction that surprised you? Well, I mean, the debate is you got this 187,000 job creation number pretty close to the consensus. It was actually a little little tiny bit over the consensus. Uh, the debate, though, is, is this the soft landing signal? Because if we could keep clicking along at 150 or 200,000 jobs a month, it would be something close to ideal. If you could do that forever, it would be, be great. Or is this just another piece of evidence that the labor market is softening up with an eye towards outright perhaps decline uh, in, in, in the coming months? And so I, I think, to be honest, the answer depends on what you're looking for. And so a bit like one of those Rorschach uh, diagrams, if I've, I don't think I've pronounced that right, in any event, a bit like one of those in the sense that uh, as someone who's predicting a recession, I was looking at it and saying, OK, another sub 200,000 and look at those 110,000 net 
downward revisions to prior months and uh, seemed to me like it was it was you know the, the latest piece of a puzzle towards an, an ever weakening labor market but in fairness you couldn't quite conclude that with absolute precision you could also say yeah, it's it's an okay job number nothing to see here uh, I, I did note that the unemployment rate rose quite a bit it yes. rose from 3.5 percent to 3.8 percent now these things can jump around and I think as we've covered before actually the unemployment rate doesn't come from the payroll survey it comes from the the labor force survey and it's different and it can be jumpier and all, all sorts of co complications but the bottom line is uh, you know historically when the unemployment rate has gone up by not a lot by you know in the realm of half a percentage point it, it is you historically been an unstoppable force and it's just kept going and turned into a recession so you, you, the point being you don't need much of an unemployment rate increase uh, to not really trigger but like a signal that a recession is is, is on its way and so um, that's a pretty big jump you know we haven't hit the 0.5 percentage point uh, it's uh, 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 Sam's law, I think, is, is the name that's being given to it these days. Uh, but the bottom line is that was a big enough move that you're kind of close to that sort of threshold. And so if we were to get the unemployment rate up again, a couple of tenths next month, you would actually be, I think, hitting some of those some of those thresholds. So that that was interesting as well. Um, earnings growth, wage growth was 0.2 percent, which is a little weaker than expected. I guess when I sum it up to me, it was it was actually on the net soft. And I, I didn't fully buy the this is the soft landing happening uh, immaculately story. Although we look at yields, so yields backed off on the report and then have, uh, you know, kind of continued their rise as we've gone through this week, particularly long, long longer yields. Um, so, so as you say, it's, it's, it's still a, we're just in one of those uncertain periods. And, and, you know, as, as you say, that, that one, that kind of 150 to 200,000 is, is just sort of that that spot on place if you could hold it forever but you're generally you know moving up through that or coming down from you know higher levels and and it's 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 the the, the trend is what we we, we want to look at and where you're ultimately going to end up and it, it, it it's it's kind of looking like and I think from most of your work and your thinking it's kind of moving in the direction of we're, we're going to get a slowdown and I don't think anyone questions that but still still looks more like a recession than 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 not doesn't it that that's what we think and so this is is a probabilistic exercise i i don't get everything right and and we can't guarantee that but it does look to me still as though that that story is is on uh and you know one one way of thinking about it is that uh, you know interest rates have gone up an awful lot they may not go up much more and so you, know, you might think gee that was the end of the bad stuff but there are big long legs uh from rate hikes and, and higher interest rates through to the economy, and uh, in fact, it was quite interesting. The the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey was testifying recently to Parliament, I suppose, and uh, he was saying quite clearly that in their view, uh, the the transmission lag is proving longer this cycle. And so this is not just us saying, wait, it's still going to happen. Uh, it, it seems. I mean, we just haven't seen the kind of economic hit yet from the higher rates, and it's beginning to build now. And so there is a bigger drag to come, I guess, is the point. And maybe that drag will be to a, a recessionary scale. Um, in fairness, a lot of the economic data out there is still mixed. You still find perfectly fine things. We were talking just before this about how the ISM services index just came out. It looked looked fine. Uh, the ISM manufacturing looked weak, but a little less weak than the prior month. So we're not getting a full-on swoon in that sense. But one thing, uh, the, and again, you have to be very careful not to cherry pick. It's so tempting to take, here are the four bad things. Let me just talk about those four bad things. That's not a 
good way to forecast. You have to look at the full set of them, be as objective Absolutely. as you can. Uh, but one thing we really like to look at, because it really gives just a very uh, granular look into the economy, is, is the beige book. Uh, and so the beige yeah. book sounds boring. Maybe it is boring to non-economists based on the color. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it's an anecdotal summary of what's happening across the U.S. economy. The way it works, you have 12 Fed districts. Each of them goes and canvases businesses, and they kind of come back just with a non-numeric summary of what's going on. And inevitably, not every district agrees, and there's all sorts of messiness. But they do try to summarize it, and it, it just came out. It literally came out uh, about an hour before we're, we're speaking to this. Um, and it was for the months of July and August, released uh, in early September. Uh, and seemed to me it was pretty bearish, I have yeah. to say. Like, you know, it, it, it felt very late or end cycle kind of in terms of what was what was happening. And so let me let me read to you a few extracts. I mean, one would be just the overall characterization of economic growth uh, was modest. Uh, most contacts in the tourism sector indicated that they were seeing what they viewed as the last stage of pent-up demand for leisure travel from the pandemic era. They thought that was, you know, in fairness, the summer is also coming to an yeah, end, sure. and so maybe that's easy. But still, it's been a multi-year uh, tourism boom, and, and they seem to think that was coming uh, to an end. Uh, other retail spending was described as slow, especially in the non-essential space. So that's, of course, where the, the spending wobbles uh, first. Um, some districts were suggesting consumers may have exhausted their savings. We've seen those the level of savings diminish to some extent, but I guess consumers running out of steam, according to some districts. Uh, demand for manufacturing goods was described as having waned. Uh, job growth was called subdued. And so, you know, to be honest, to me, almost 200,000 doesn't feel that subdued, but maybe they're seeing some things that, that, that were not. Uh, and you know, most contacts said that they expect slower wage growth. They said the second half of the year will be different. They're expecting wage growth to slow. So they think that the labor market is, is softening up in that regard as well. Most distri districts reported price growth was slowing uh, and uh, profit margins were reportedly falling in several districts. And so it gets tricky. You got 12 districts, several say profit margins are falling. I mean, technically, I guess the other, you know, nine could be seeing rising profit margins, though I think if that were happening, you'd hear something about it. So you have to think that the trend is towards lower margins. But I kind of go through that and I hear certain not so good things about the labor market, not so good things about consumers, not so th good things about manufacturers and profit margins and wage growth. And so to me, it feels, again, very, very later end cycle. It, it's consistent with the sort of work that we're doing, which suggests that we, uh, we are seeing things not look as good. And, you know, whether that's an outright recession or just a period of softness and whether it's, you know, a recession tomorrow or a recession in the middle of next year. I don't think you could say with precision, but uh, it, it, it seems to me that we're getting some softness here and we are, we're sticking with that recession and, and, call. And we've, we've referenced on this podcast several times about what's going on with consumer debt, particularly credit card debt. Mm. Um, and, and then I, I was uh, looking at some of, some of your work uh, yesterday uh, and, and you're starting to see some delinquencies pop up around that credit card debt in, in, in the U S which is generally where we're going to kind of, kind of percolates up first but uh what, what, what right. was that data's point right yeah so that, that that's it and so consumers have been leaning more on credit card borrowing which i mean you wouldn't think would be the natural inclination as rates rise because you know what what's the one variable rate interest rate that everyone's exposed to with a credit card you know that that would be uh, credit cards and so um you know they're doing it out of necessity presumably as they run out of those excess savings that they had accumulated across the pandemic so we've seen credit card usage go up quite a bit in the short run of course that just helps spending it doesn't hurt spending but it, it you know suggests maybe all is not perfectly well on the income spending 
dynamic. And as you say, we are now starting to see a notable increase in credit card delinquency rates in the U.S. Uh, this is a 30-day delinquency rate, but it's risen quite a bit. And so we, we have data that separates out the 100 biggest American banks from the rest. In terms of the rest, which would be the majority of the banks, but maybe not the majority of the money, but in terms of the smaller banks, uh, the increase has been uh, quite notable to the point that it's the highest we've seen going back 30 plus years, so the highest wow. credit card delinquency rate. That's not great. Uh, for big banks, the top 100 banks, it's not the highest in 30 years. It's the highest in about 10 years, though. It's higher than it was at any point during the pandemic, and it's a significant increase. And so we're seeing something. We were just talking in a team meeting about this because you then look, we have this other chart, and it's a 90-day delinquency rate, and it's up a smidge, but it's not up a lot. And so the question is, is that other one going to jump in 60 days when the 30-day delinquency becomes 90-day, or are people just struggling a little bit and missing every once in a while a credit card payment, but then making good when that paycheck comes in? And so you, you could interpret it a few ways, but I think, to be honest, the, the, the best way is to say, listen, this thing's rising quite a bit. And so that is signaling some measure of distress, and you would think it would be a, a limit on what consumer spending can do. Now, we, we did get... Uh, consumer spending, personal income, personal spending data, and so on for, I guess it was July, not that long ago. Um, and the spending was strong in July. It was up 0.8%. And so people were still spending. But here's the kicker. Personal income was only up 0.2%. And so that was people, you know, outdoing what they could sustainably achieve. And I suppose the credit card growth speaks similarly. And it's, you know, it's, it seems to us that it's not uh, sustainable. Uh, and and by definition, that means the personal savings rate fell in, in the month. And, and it's already uh, very low indeed. It's it's you know just about the lowest rate we've seen going back several decades. So uh, we, we we think consumers have have to cool it to some extent. And you just you refer back to that beige book as an example and talking about the, the tourism demand maybe being on its last legs and how you know, demand for non-essential items is is now weakening to to some extent as well. And I, I'm no expert, but it, and I'm not at all a, a corporate side analyst. But you can look at Foot Locker as an example. And so a seller of discretionary goods of, of footwear and and they've reported quite a drop off in, in demand and anticipated demand. And you see that across a variety of companies. So it, it seems to me the consumer is softening up and they're hanging on in some regards, but they're, they're, they're giving up the ghost in other ways. Yeah. And, and I mean, everyone who listens to us regularly, don't get us wrong. We, uh, we, we would love nothing more than a, than a soft landing and, uh, and no recession. Uh, but what we try to do here is, is give you information and, and, you know, you start to take a look at the numbers and, and, you know, from, from, from Eric's perspective, uh, it uh, and, and our perspective overall, it, it looks like you're going to see some pretty significant softening. It's coming a little bit later it, it, it's than, than you would expect, but it's an unusual cycle. And so uh, so I guess that's not too surprising, but it does suggest that in your investment portfolio, you want to be pretty neutral or a little bit cautious at this point. And that's the way we're uh, we're looking at the portfolios that we manage. And um, and, and and so it creates an opportunity uh, you know, where whatever's happening economically is creating an opportunity in some part of the market. So we just need to make you aware of that so that you can make those decisions for you and, and your portfolio. Well said. So, <laughs> ah, there we go, Eric. So, uh, so with that, let's, uh, let, let's, uh, let's, let's stop it at that point. Cause we're going to get you on, uh, again. And, uh, and I've already teed up the excitement sometime in the next two years, special report, Eric Lascelles on India. The next okay, giant. Let's do it. And uh, so, so everyone, wait, wait for that. But if not, we'll have Eric on uh, pretty regularly between now and then. And Eric, thanks as always for your time. My pleasure. Bye, everybody.
This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.